We are an impatient people. I don't know if you've noticed this. Uh, but we want answers immediately. And we want, we want to be able to know everything that COVID has done, everything that it's going to do. We want answers right now. But folks, my friends, uh, it's going to take a while. It's going to take a while for us to be able to accurately, historically assess all the changes that have happened in our world due to COVID-19 during the shutdown of 2021-2021. Uh, it's going to be hard for us to, to know that. It takes time to look back and figure things out. A significant amount of time to clearly understand all that has happened because of this pandemic. But there is one immediately available sign of things, uh, well, one of the consequences of COVID-19, and it com- this sign literally comes in signs you have probably seen in and around town. You have most likely seen these signs. Uh, well, I, somehow, Alan, here we go. Let's see what happened here. I'm missing a, well, I'm missing a, some, a slide, apparently. Uh, signs, how, about, how many of you have seen help wanted signs? Now hiring signs. I was actually at one convenience store uh, 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 that had a sign out front. Not only are we hiring, we're going to give you a $365 bonus just for signing up. Uh, all around this land, there are people who are hurting, businesses that are hurting. And this is one of the major areas of their hurting. And we're not exactly sure all that's involved. But if you ask business owners what's involved, they're going to tell you staff shortages. There's a labor shortage. And their answer why there is is pretty easy for them to say. Government handouts, government help, has caused some people to decide, I'm not going to go back to work. I can make more staying at home. And that's the logic. That's the anecdotal explanation of that. Now, not everyone believes that. There are economists who are going to argue there's not a labor shortage at all. Uh, And they say the reason... It's hard to get people to work is not because the people aren't there. It's because businesses aren't willing to pay the wages that need to make it worthwhile. And businesses respond, look, after this year and a half and all that we've gone through, we don't have money to raise the wages of people. So maybe even the job shortage is going to take a while for us to explain and understand. While that may be true, I can give you a definitively real historical example of labor shortage, and it is found within the Word of God. The year of this shortage is 520 B.C. Its location is the land of Judah, and it has been approximately 18 years before 520, that Cyrus the Great told the Jewish captives in Babylon, you can go back home and rebuild your lives. 
18 years where people have come together and tried to build their lives as much as as possible. And things were difficult for the post-exilic Jews coming back. It took them 18 years to get where they were, to to rebuild their lives, to, to have momentum going forward. And a lot of work had been accomplished. A lot of things had been done. But there was one glaring rebuilding project that was started and then virtually ignored and forgotten. They began almost as soon as they got back to Jerusalem, and then it slid out of their mind. Apparently, nobody wanted to work on that project. They had other things that they had to get due. And it is one of the most shocking labor shortages in the history of God's people. And we hear about it in our text this morning. And folks, the labor shortage had to deal specifically with the rebuilding of the temple of the Lord. For 18 years, they had been in the land, and the most they got done was at start a foundation. And the people had simply forgotten their commitment to God in this arena. Now, we hear about this in our text, found in one of the shortest of the minor prophets. You can read Haggai in one setting without too much trouble. Two chapters. And we're going to look at the first chapter, the entire first chapter. Now that would scare you to death if I were talking about Genesis or uh, Isaiah or whatever. But Haggai, we're going to take a look at verses 1 through 15, which is the entire word that God has given us about this. So I want you to hear carefully What God said. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people, he's talking about the Jews, We probably ought to pay attention that God refers to them as these people. Not my people. These people. Say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not worn. You you earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens 
have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces on people and livestock and on all the labor of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai because the Lord their God had sent him and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Josedach, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month. I'll just let you know that in this text, God Almighty spoke to his people through the prophet and said, you need to rebuild the temple. You need to get back to what you were called to do. Meet the obligation of the Lord. This was a call for the people of Judah, the people of Jerusalem, to get to the work. You need to do what you were called to do when I brought you back home. Now, in our day, I believe we face a labor shortage. Christians in the West, like Judah, apparently have lost sight of the task at hand. And what is that task? Being the people of God and all that means. Doing what God has called us to do. We need to hear God's call, and we need to get to the work. And this will ultimately happen when we as the people of God, are renewed by the Lord. And we will see when God's people are renewed, they passionately do the work of the Lord. Now, what changes? What changes in us that causes us to get busy and get to the work? Well, to understand that, we're going to take a look at several stages that are involved in producing a godly work ethic. I'm not talking about a Protestant work ethic. I'm not talking about going and do your job you earn money for and be really good at that, although I think you should. A godly work ethic where God's people are doing what God has called them to do. So we're going to take a look at this to see what will happen that causes us to suddenly be excited about serving the Lord. The first two stages are not particularly pleasant but they're necessary. Stage one, be real about our situation. We've got to be real about where we find ourselves in today's world and quit making excuses, quit rationalizing. And when you look at the people of God in Judah, Judah had to face the facts of her refusal to heed God's word. And the prophet was brutally clear about what was going on to God's people. Now, they had excuses for what had or what had not happened. As soon as they came back to Judah, they had enemies from without hampering their cause. 
There's a guy named Sanballat, who was one of the pagan rulers in the area who did everything he could to disrupt what they were trying to do for God. But they also had enemies within. You see, when they got back to Judah and Jerusalem, there were still some Jews there who had never been taken away to Babylon, and they were not helpful. They didn't like what was going on, and they became problematic. So they had excuses they could use and did use, and Haggai strips away all of the excuses. Cut through them. You're not building the temple, Haggai says, because you don't want to. You have not built God's temple because you are too caught up in what you want. You are building your houses. And and that phrase, paneled house, don't think about this, you know, a really nice home. It probably means you have houses with roofs on them. You have a floor, you have a roof, and my temple is still lying in disrepair, disrepair. And you don't care. You're not concerned about. They needed to be honest. They weren't ready to perform what would be an act of sacrifice on their part to see God's will done. And us, when we fail to listen to God, we must not think all is well. There's a lot going on in our world today that we don't like. But it's far too easy for us, for you and me, to lose sight of what is important, to lose sight of what is necessary and focusing on what we want. Many decades ago, John Bailey wrote a book, Our Knowledge of God. And listen to what he said, because folks, this is important. According to the teaching of our Lord, what is wrong with the world is precisely that it does not believe in God. Yet it is clear that the unbelief which he so bitterly deplored when he was on earth, folks, Jesus looked at unbelief. But listen, it was not an intellectual persuasion of God's non-existence. Those whom he rebuked for their lack of faith were not men who denied God with the top of their minds. In other words, they intellectually said, there is a Lord. But they were men who, while apparently incapable of doubting him with the top of their minds, lived as though he did not exist. What he is describing has been called practical atheism. Oh yeah, I believe in God, but you'd never be able to tell it looking at my life. And this is a problem that can be part of God's people, so busy doing what we want, so busy doing what we think is important, we lose sight of Him, caught up in our own desires. So folks, to begin the journey to the work, we need to take a good, steady look at what we really are. The church in the West, not just in America, not just in Mississippi, not just in Biloxi, the church in the West needs to wake up from a slumber. And we desperately need to see what God is wanting to do. And we really can become the people God has called us to be if we're willing to get real, if we're willing to admit we're not where we should be. And that leads us to the second stage. If we recognize 
we're far from where God wants. Stage two, acknowledge the consequences of continuing in our situation. If we keep on sleeping, if we are still in slumber, if we have not been awakened by our God, if we have not renewed, we need to take ownership. You see, the Lord Almighty led Haggai to an honest assessment of the struggles of Judah that they faced. Now, without a doubt, I'm pretty sure the people of Judah, when they came back, came back to Jerusalem, started everything, they just really believed everything was going to come together neat and simple and good and wonderful. And all of a sudden, they're faced with trials. They're faced with struggles. And without a doubt, they probably thought, well, is God with us or not? He promised to bring us home. He promised to help us, but he's not helping. They had come back home. They were rebuilding their lives, but everything was failing because they refused to see what God wanted. And so Haggai lays it at their feet. God had not failed them. They had failed him. You work hard and you're not producing anything. You have food, but it's not going to keep you full. You have drink, but you're still going to be thirsty. Everything that you're doing has failed. Why? Did you notice how many times the phrase Lord Almighty was mentioned in Haggai? Do you think there's a reason God uses his prophet to use that phrase, the Lord of hosts, it's sometimes translated, the God of the mountains, the God of power and might. Why are you failing? Not because I can't help you, but you have forgotten your call. And you are so busy with your own desires, my house is still in ruin. And so I'm going to bring judgment. Why the single most important relationship they could ever have was being neglected. And we need to understand, in our world, you and I, we must see that we cannot legitimately ignore our place in the world's situation. I want to blame everything that's happening right now on those people. You know, the folks who don't know the Lord, all those heathen reprobates. I want to blame them. But maybe we're not getting it. Maybe we're not seeing. Came across one of the most fascinating news articles I've ever read that just show the complete craziness of human beings. Uh, this particular gentleman, Eric Stagno, uh, walked into the local Planet Fitness gym and he thought he knew what was to expect and his expectations were wrong. You see... Mr. Sagno walked into the Planet Fitness and proceeded to take off all of his clothes, stripped down naked, walked around a bit, and then made his way over to a yoga mat where he sat down. And uh, police were dispatched. Surprise. Uh, and they got there. They found that he was still on the mat. He was doing some yoga-like uh, positions, they said completely naked, and the people at the gym were freaking out. One lady said, to me, it's like, what did you smoke before you came to the gym? I don't think 
You should be at the gym naked. One man said, it's not right at all. Why would you do that? People are uncomfortable. You make you uncomfortable. It's weird. And he was arrested without further incident, charged with indecent exposure. And when they asked him why you did it, guess what he said? I thought Planet Fitness was a judgment-free zone. That's their slogan. And what they mean is somebody like me should be able to go into Planet Fitness and not have people look and say, oh, he waited too late. He completely misunderstood. Could it be that we're misinterpreting what's going on in our land? We want to blame the trials that we're facing on the lost folks. Those who are lost and hostile to us. And yes, the world is lost and hostile to the cause of Christ. But have we misjudged the situation and not realized that a lot of the struggle we're facing right now here in America may well be God moving the way he did with Judah? causing us to be dissatisfied, causing us to, to go through struggle because his disciplining hand is upon us. Could it be that we're facing what we're facing because God is wanting his people to come back? And I happen to believe that's a major factor in what we're facing. So you and I, the church in our land and in the West, we must honestly wake up and see the lackluster faith of our age. Now, I'm not suggesting that there are no Christians who are excited about the Lord. I'm not suggesting that there nothing is good is happening at all in the body of Christ. But there are far too many who name the name of Christ who are trying to live under two masters. It's also called nominal Christianity. Christianity in name. And their name may be on a church row and they may even come to church, but their hearts are not yielded to God the way he wants them to. And Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you can't serve two masters. So maybe the people of God today, we've got to decide and accept the diagnosis that God, his ways are before us and we must go back. We as a people of God must go back to what he wants us to be. Which brings us to stage three, and this is where things begin to change. Once we've recognized our condition and we've recognized that a lot of the pain we're facing, we may have brought upon ourselves, we come to stage three and we see that we must listen to God's call. Listen to God's call. And when God raised up this prophet, all their questions were answered. You see, God told his people exactly what he expected through the words of Haggai. Twice, and Natalie was right in pointing that out to our kids. It's pretty significant. Within two verses, God repeats himself, give careful thought to your ways. 
They were to honestly look at what was happening. And then they were to get busy doing the work of the Lord. They needed to rebuild the temple. Now, it's important that I get you to know, God didn't need the temple. God didn't need the temple to be God. He is already God. The people needed the temple. And not like some good luck charm. Jeremiah dealt with that in his book. When the people were saying, nothing can happen to us, the temple of the Lord is here. And he says, yeah, judgment's coming. They needed the temple because that would be an outward sign that in their hearts, they were ready to serve the Lord, to follow God. And it would be the outward sign of this inner change that happened among God's people. You and I, every one of us has a call from God for the way we live. Now, I know that when I talk about the call of God, we are almost conditioned as Baptists to think about the call into vocational ministry, the call to be a pastor, a preacher, an evangelist. But it's important that you know the call of God goes out universally to all of God's people. Every one of us have a call to God. I'm just going to take you through a few of them, okay? Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the, the ends of the earth. Every child of God has a call to be a witness to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in 1 Corinthians 5, Beginning verse 17, the Apostle Paul said, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. Every one of us, we have been given a ministry of reconciliation trying to bring people to the truth that God loves you, God wants to save you, God wants to move in your life. And as ambassadors of God, you and I are supposed to be representing Him on this earth. So let that just sink in a little bit. What do people know about God when they look at us? We need to hear God. Matthew 5, 9, in the Beatitudes on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. We are no more like our Father than when we are waging peace, when we are telling people about the peace of God, the peace from God, when we try to build peace between each other. Again, in the Sermon on the Mount, He said, You are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. Then one of the toughest things Jesus ever said, and this is your call and it's my call. Okay? Again, the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Wow. All those people we hate on Facebook, We're supposed to be loving. We're supposed to be praying for. 
And I really don't believe Jesus, when he says, love your enemies, pray for them, it's pretty clear Jesus didn't mean to pray, God, get them. Love your enemies. These are just a few of the calls of God that belong to every child of God. And we desperately need to hear and heed God's plan for us. But are we willing to hear? Oswald Chambers, in his amazing, amazing devotional book, My Utmost for His Highest, talking about Eli and Samuel, said, Get into the habit of saying, speak, Lord, and life will become a romance. Every time circumstances press in on you, say, speak, Lord, and make time to listen. Chastening is more than a means of discipline. It is a mean, it is meant to bring me to the point of saying, speak, Lord. Think back to a time when God spoke to you. Do you remember what he said? As we listen, our ears will become more sensitive and like Jesus We will hear God all the time. Lord, speak into my life. Let me hear you. Which brings us finally to stage four, where it gets downright exciting. Prepare our hearts for the stirring of God. Prepare our hearts for the stirring of God. See, what happens? The prophet says, this is what the Lord says. Be careful of the way you're living and you're thinking and what you're doing. Be careful what you're thinking and what you're doing. All of a sudden, something amazing happened. God moved among his people to fan to flame the, the flame of their commitment to the Lord. We are told when Zerubbabel, he is blood kin to the last king that sat on David's throne that was related to David. Joshua traces his priestly line back to the priesthood that David, the men that David chose to be his priest. When Zerubbabel, the governor, Joshua, the high priest, and the people of God heard what God said, they received it, they obeyed it, They feared the Lord. Folks, this is absolutely unheard of in Israel. They actually listened to the prophet of God. They heard the word of the Lord and they said, we're going to do that. And someone has said that if the other prophets had had this kind of response to what they preached, Israel and Judah would never have fallen. They would never have gotten into idolatry. Or having gotten there, they would have given it up. They obeyed God, and a true renewal took place. And they got busy, and they worked hard. Now, the ultimate fulfillment of everything that Haggai promised would be later met in the Messiah of God. But these people said, we're ready, and they actually began to work. Now, I believe something. Fundamentally, at the the heart of who I am, I truly believe that God is wanting to raise up a remnant of his children to use to his glory. How can I say, how can I tell you what what God wants? Because in his word, he tells us. 
Just think of how many times God has called his people to obediently follow him, to come back to him, to turn from their wicked ways and give themselves to him. We find this in Old and New Testament a lot. God calling his people to give glory to his name. And I believe that God is beginning to stir hearts in our land. I believe there are people who are starting to get it. People who are are willing to say, the bulk of our problems happened in our lives as the people of God when we lost sight of what that meant. And people are beginning to hear. One of the most famous Baptist preachers of days gone by was R.G. Lee. Amazing man of God. Uh, incredibly, uh, an incredible mind. He was very important in the Southern Baptist Convention as well as a pastor. And he wrote a little, a little blurb, Revival If. Revival is going to come. Listen to what he said. If all the sleeping folk will wake up, if all the lukewarm folk will fire up, if all the dishonest folk will confess up, if all the disgruntled folk will cheer up, if all the estranged folk will make up, if all the gossipers will shut up, if all the true soldiers will stand up, if all the dry bones will shake up, if all the church members will pray up, then we can have revival. When we are ready and willing to say, Lord, here we are, move in us, change us. We want to follow you. Do what is necessary in my life to serve you. And God is going to begin a work. Can I guarantee you it will be a nationwide awakening? No. But I believe renewal can happen within our lives, within this church, within our state. I believe awakening can happen. And we need to stand ready to see the mighty hand of God move in our lives. Each person here, each of us needs to cry out to God, stir my heart the way you stirred the spirit of your people when they lost sight of your purpose. Each one of us needs to let go of those things that will tie us down. And each one of us, folks, we need to be filled with the Spirit of God, yielding our lives to His control, opening ourselves to what He would have us do and what He would have us become. But even if that happens, please don't, please don't just think it's going to be wonderful beautiful, lovely, exciting times. When God moves, sometimes, well, often it shakes us up. Barbara Taylor, Brown Taylor, talked about a situation where several summers back she had uh, spent three days on a barrier island and she, uh, it was an island where loggerhead turtles were laying their eggs And one night, while the tide was out, she said, I actually saw a a female come out of the the water 
and begin the process of giving birth. And apparently it was an amazing sight. And she said, I didn't want to disturb her, so I simply walked away as quietly as I could. She came back the next morning to see if she could find the spot where the, the baby turtles were laid, the eggs were laid. And she said what she found was the trail of the mom, but it wasn't leading to the ocean. It was leading inland. And the desert, she, uh, the, the, the beach was as hot as a desert, hot as asphalt. And she was very concerned because she didn't see a trail coming back. So she followed the trail to finally she found the mother turtle. And she was basically baking. Sand was caked all over. She was very hot. So she got water and she poured it on her. She got some seaweed and put it over him. And then she went to get a park ranger. And he shows up in a jeep. And to her shock, the ranger pulls out a chain and wraps the turtle with the chain, connecting to the Jeep. And before Barbara understood what was happening, he put it in gear and took off and yanked Mama Turtle almost into a flying position. And and Barbara... Round Taylor was scared to death that the mom wasn't going to make it, so she's following. And the prow of the shell is leaving a trail, and she gets to the, the shoreline, and she is concerned for mom, and he unchained her, he flipped her over on the right side, put her at the water's edge, and bit by bit, water started coming up. The tide started moving. She got wet, and her skin started glistening again. And then she she kind of tried to pull up and she's kicking her back feet trying to get into the water. But bit by bit, the water finally got deep enough that she was starting to float and she made her way back into the sea. She was rescued, but it was really a terrifying thing to see. She said... In response to this, watching her swim slowly away and remembering her nightmare ride through the dunes, I noted that it is sometimes hard to tell whether you are being killed or being saved by the hands that turn your life upside down. When God begins to move in our lives, folks, it's likely to shake us up. It's likely to disturb us. It's likely to to rattle us because we we kind of think God showed up and we had such a wonderful experience, but over and over again, when God shows up within the Word of God, the very first re- reaction is not necessarily, praise the Lord, hallelujah, amen. It's what Haggai's book said about the people of God. They feared the Lord. They were shaken And God stirred them up to life. My dear friends, we need to take a long and honest look at what we are and where we are. We need to understand that a refusal to leave the state in which we live as the body of Christ across our land today has powerful consequences. If we are not following the Lord the way we should and we stay there, 
We have no reason to think that things are going to get better in our land. But if we'll listen, speak, God. Speak. And God begins to call us and remind us of everything we've ever been meant to be. Renewal starts showing up. And when God's Spirit stirs our faith into a mighty flame for God, you and I, we will be changed to the glory and honor of God Almighty. So this morning, as you bow your heads before God, let's ask Him to help us with these stages. God, I need to see. I I don't want to make excuses. I don't want to rationalize. I need to really understand where I am with you right now. What are the areas of my life that have not yet been yielded? What are the parts of my life that dishonor you? And God, give me the courage by your strength and your grace to begin to move away from where I'm at to where I ought to be. So speak to my heart today, Lord. Help me to see what you want in my life. And then God, as you speak to my life, as I say, yes, Lord, empower me to become what you want me to be. Let's open up our hearts to God.